and welcome to episode 560 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. Brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. And, That's right. Uh, and also from Grantland, Grant Land, the land of Grant, we have a guest whose name is Grant. <laughs> Hi, Grant. You're editing that out, right? <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you doing? Pretty good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Grant Brisby, of course, writes uh, about the Giants from McCovey Chronicles on the SB Nation Sports Blog Network uh, and also writes for sbnation.com backslash MLB or slash MLB. Is that <laughs> there needs to be a better about? way to, to say that. I always That's what I say. I say slash MLB. I yeah. usually say SB Nation because sometimes, <laughs> you know, I write about lacrosse and stuff you don't see on the main page. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, or pooping in Russia, or pooping in Russia. Yes, is also a, uh, one of your micro beats. One of my beats. Yes. No, nobody else has that beat. So if there's ever a need for another pooping in Russia story, <laughs> ain't nobody else gonna do it. Uh, lockdown. Grant, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. World Series starts tomorrow, um, and uh, you've been talking to a bunch of people, I'm sure, about it. So we'll ask you some of those same questions um but i have a question for you first it's not really about the world series um where does ishikawa's home run rank for you as far as or maybe not for you i would actually like the objective ranking rather than your own personal one where does it rank for for greatest giants moments or greatest giants uh hits or whatever um you know of your lifetime of my lifetime. That's good. Okay, so I can ignore New York because that's very New far York. away. Doesn't count. I've been there once. It seems very dirty. You can ignore the uh, time that Juan Marichal hit a Dodger with a bat. Ew. Okay, okay. I'll ignore that. I'll ignore that. Um, in my lifetime. So growing up, you know, I, I was one of the 600,000 people who was at both the Joe Morgan game and the Bob Brenly game. And it's like legitimately like I asked my mom like every year, it's like, was I really at both of those games? And she swears that I was. Um, but those used, those were like the big home runs of my youth growing up. Was, one was Bob Brenly hitting a home run after making four errors and winning the game. He, he, well, he hit two home runs. And that's a neat story. But that team was terrible. Mm-hmm. And the Joe Morgan home run was, you know, Joe Morgan hitting a home run to help knock the Dodgers out of the playoffs, which was a very – Interesting and fun home run, but again, it's like the saddest big <laughs> home run in the franchise. It's like, yeah, we got you guys. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, all, we still play the toilet bowl. Um, so <laughs> it's, I'd say it's like the biggest home run. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get run over by a hyperbole train. I don't know. I want to say it's the biggest. It's the biggest. I mean, I, I, I saw Bonds do the single season thing. I saw him do. Uh, the 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 career home run record, I the Edgar Renteria home run against Cliff Lee is definitely up there. Yeah, uh, you know, there's so many so many home runs, but it, it, there's a, the finality of it, where you know a month ago, I didn't give the Giants a chance of advancing past the wild card round, other than you know you wink and say, haha, baseball's funny, anything can happen. But like, no, I seriously, I looked at that team, I'm like, these guys are a bunch of idiots, they're not going to make it out of the wild card round, and then to go from that, it's like just that the finality of that home run sends them to the pennant. And that's why I think it's just one of the most special home runs that I'm ever going to see a Giants player hit in my lifetime. Plus it's the fact that it's Travis Ishikawa 
who was a drifter. He was, you know, riding boxcars a year ago, <laughs> a literal hobo, um, you know, an ex giants prospect. I mean, that just like adds to the, this great, hilarious, unlikely story. So I'm going to go with up there with Edgar Renteria, if not on top. Yeah. I want to talk it down. If I, I want to talk it down because they were totally going to win that series. You know, like there was almost no chance that they weren't going to win that series at that point in the game, in the series. And so it didn't turn around a defeat in a way that you would like your most iconic moment to to do. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, it's not Spezio in that way, kind of. Right. Uh, but, uh, but on the other hand, uh, the fact that you get to celebrate it for five days in a row or four days in a row that you just never you look you never have to leave the field like you just run into a pile until you're all covered with pile fungus like like a <laughs> like a wood pile <laughs> <laughs> uh seems like it seems like it makes it stronger uh and and yeah there i there isn't another final there isn't any other final moment. I mean, the the final moments in Giants history, like Will, uh, uh, in two thousand two, when Kenny Lofton had the game winning hit, that seems pretty big because it was also final, and that was also like, oh, it was Game Five. They were totally going to win that series too. And right. so just just knowing how big that looms in my head, to then add the home run element to it and the, the Ishikawa element to it and everything like that. On the other hand. Back then, 2002, people are, I'm sure, invigorated by this conversation between you and me about <laughs> your favorite, favorite Giants Gi- moments. Uh, back then in 2002, the stakes were insanely high. You were, you were convinced that there was about, what, a 75% chance you would die before you ever got to celebrate a Giants World Series. It, there was no guarantee it was ever going to happen. Here's and at this point... At this point, you're rooting for the Royals at this point. So, like, how exciting can the the home run hit in the LDS that you were going to win anyway on your way to a third World Series, how big can that really be? I, I'd, I'd like to take exception with Sam's contention that I'm rooting for the Royals. I'd like to state on the record that I'm not rooting for the Royals. I never have rooted for the Royals. I'm going to root for the Giants in this World Series. <laughs> I, I get your point. <laughs> Like and to be honest, if you had asked me, what are your biggest hits um, in Giants history? I don't know when I would have gotten to Lofton, which is weird because it's the same situation. It's uh, Giants are up three to one. They're at home. You know, they don't want to go back to St. Louis, but you know they will if they have to. It's not the end of the world if they don't win this game. It's the exact same situation. Yeah, same with Will Clark too. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's um, I don't maybe maybe I'm just a sucker for dingers. Like I don't know. It's just. It just felt like, you know, it felt like I became a man that day. You know what I mean? It felt like it opened up new worlds for me, that home run. No, I don't know. It's, it's, may ask me again in a year. Maybe I'll talk myself down from it. But right now, it's just, I, I just can't get enough of it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be jaded and bitter. And, and, uh, I'm watching it on my phone, like, when I'm in my car at stoplights. Like, I just, I can't get enough of that home run. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So it did uh, not affect your enjoyment that Mike Matheny tried to steal the spotlight with his stunt casting of Michael Waka. <laughs> it, it was not oh, but but he gave it to us. He put in Waka. That I imagine did not cross your mind. Matheny, that no, was Matheny, I, that was Matheny jumping the snark. 
That would, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely maybe takes a style point away, but it doesn't take style points multiple away. So I'm okay with it. Take it out, then. What? You're a joke. <laughs> Delete it. <laughs> nope. Uh, so, Grant, hey, what are the keys to this World Series? <laughs> uh, like the keys to the game? Yeah. The, to to the all of the games. Each of the games. No, no, no. You can have a, a key. Wait. Give me a key for each game. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay. Sand, you're sandbagging me with these questions here. Yeah, key to each game. Well, the first game probably going to be a, a strong Madison Bumgarner game, wouldn't you think? That would be the key to that game? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then moving on, game two. I think a key to that game is going to be moving the runners over. <laughs> Keys to the series. I... I, I am worried about uh, James Shields just because he's struggled a little bit in this postseason. So I'm a little – it just has that feeling of like – like when Cliff Lee was so good heading uh-huh. into that 2010 World Series. I kind of had this feeling like, well, he can't be perfect. Like maybe maybe he's due for a little stumble. And that's yeah. you know that, that's what happened. So I, I have like the reverse feeling where it's like James Shields is – you know, not he's like kind of lukewarm game James. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm just expecting like, well, now he's back. He's he's got his form back. You know, here's big game James. And he you know, shut the Giants down. So that that's like my big worry. That's my legitimate key to the game. It, it does. Yeah, it does seem impossible for the Giants to win because half the Royals are hot and the other half are due. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hot side stays hot and the due side do side stays do like a McDLT, right? So Bumgarner, uh, can you edit that out? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, uh, I want to, there's this weird thing with the giants where, um, if you look at their advanced, you know, if you look at all the advanced hitting stats, it looks like the giants are like the 27 Yankees. They all have OPS pluses of like 145 because they're hitting like 212 in AT&T park. And the park adjustments are just so heavy that they make it look like everybody's awesome. And so, like, like literally every hitter in this lineup has an OPS plus over 100, including Joe Panic and Travis Ishikawa and guys who, you know, nobody really thinks of as particularly good. Um, right. And by true average, Panic just barely, barely misses it. And so that's all, like, kind of encouraging. And if it's your team, you convince yourself, like, this is a really good offense. They just play in a, in a park that crushes them. And then you get to the pitching, and you have Madison Bumgarner, who we all think is one of the, you know, four or five best pitchers in the National League, and has been, you know, incredible in postseason, and is like a bona fide, you know, like an ace. He is not Kershaw, but he is the next best thing from the left side in the National League. And then you look at his ERA plus, and it's like 106 or something like that. And and it's always that way, right? Like, right. So. If you if you if you look at it like this, if you if you accept that the Giants actually have a good offense, then you accept that. Well, then you have to accept that Matt Cain's like pretty good, but not really that good. And Madison Bumgarner, I saw his ERA plus this year was one seventeen, which is just not very good. It's it's okay. Um, so what do you make of this? How do you square it? I generally cherry pick what I want to see when I want to see it, yeah. and like a, that sounds kind of like a quip, but it's like like not like i can't explain it like I, because i when i think of the giants offense i do i scan right to that column in baseball reference the ops plus and you go there and you just you take a quick look and it bucks yourself up because all those guys are 100 and over and even the guys who are hurt will the guys fill in like Gregor blanco 
over 100. I think he's at a 104. Uh, but then I, I, I mentally give a little a little boost to the starting pitchers. You know, I, I don't think of Madison Bumgarner as uh, an above average pitcher, uh, especially since he struggled so much at home. I mean, I know that doesn't factor into the, uh, the park effects or anything like that, but I don't think of him as a pitcher who has been helped an unduly amount by AT&T Park. And so I just mentally, you know, get a little tick up with the ERA plus, and I, I uh, console myself with the F, uh, the fielding independent stats, and uh, he just like smells like an ace. He walks like an ace, talks like an ace. So, yeah, I'm okay with him. And then on the other side, you've got guys like Ryan Vogelsong, who, you know, you look at the ERA and it's like, oh, that's not a good ERA. And then you look at the ERA plus, and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, he's basically like Jamie Navarro's the end of his career, um, and that's hard for me to believe too. So I just take the evidence I like and then I ignore the evidence I don't like <laughs> that's that's kind of the secret to my writing um, yeah that's, but it, I, that's I also I, I don't think the Giants are necessarily a team that's got eight one through eight or with the DH one through nine just like above average hitters I think that's laying it on a little thick I, I do think there is a little bit of an over adjustment with the park effects that I'm not smart enough to understand but just just from an eyeballing perspective I I think of a guy like Gregor Blanco as, you know, a good enough hitter to perhaps be in a lineup, but a slightly below average hitter. Same with Joe Panic, you know, once once the balls stop falling in for him. Same for Brandon Crawford. I think there's a little over adjustment there. So I'm with you there. So do you feel like uh, Madison Bumgarner is so good at this point, so good right now, pitching so well, is so good and is pitching so well that uh, any game that he's in. He, the Giants are at kind of a, a very large advantage. Is it that big a difference between him and the next best pitcher in this series? Or is it really not that big? And you're probably going to say it's not that big because you don't want to set yourself to, to be really disappointed in 24 hours. But don't do that. You you cut to the core of me, Sam Miller. <laughs> um, that's, that's it. But, I mean, I, I do think it's not that big of an advantage just because unless you're talking um, – you know, Pedro in his prime versus the next best guy or uh, Kershaw this year, you know, versus the next best guy. You're not going to get that 70, 30 advantage. You know, this team's going to win 70% of the time, even against like the second best pitcher in the league. Cause this guy's that good. Like the difference between Bumgarner and Shields is, you know, I know which one I would take to start a game, but I'm not exactly putting money on it. You know what I mean? Like I, this would be a great way to pay my mortgage next month. And I'm not, I don't have quite the confidence to do that. So, How have the Giants avoided being the bad guys? It's really an impressive accomplishment because you'd think that any team that was playing the Royals right now would be the bad guys, let alone a team that has won two World Series in the last four years. And yet, I think most people are rooting for the Royals, most impartial people. But I don't get the sense that there's much animosity towards the Giants. They are kind of a well-liked team generally. I, I don't know that we're excited to see them, but we're not sick of them. How have they done that? I don't know. See, I'm, I'm picking up, you know, my antenna are picking up different different vibes. I'm picking up uh, pretty substantial Giants fatigue and sickness and malaise <laughs> and, you know, whatever. Like, I, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm channeling that overly sensitive Internet Giants fan, which is right. a, a, breed, a breed of Internet fan that is a very, very loud and vocal um, but I, you know, I see people kind of getting annoyed at the Giants, and I don't blame them. I mean, if I, 
if, if there were a team doing this in 1999, like the Yankees, I mean, when they were winning every World Series, 98, 99, 2000, it, it just bugged the crap out of me. And the Yankees are the Yankees, and that's different. I mean, you know, they have musicals written about that feeling of the Yankees winning everything. I mean, it, that's a whole different chapter of baseball history. But I, I could see the Giants being very annoying to people right now, and I don't blame them because it is kind of – nonsense well not just not just that they've been there so much it's really that they're not that good and there's something (laughs) there's something sort of uh, i feel like i'm picking up a feeling of dread that this team is about to become a dynasty without ever having been like one of the three to five best teams in baseball and having a you know a sub 500 finish mixed in there and it there's just like it, it you can almost sort of get the feeling that like if they hadn't won the last two and they were just it was just them again like we wouldn't be as sick of seeing them it's more that like this third one means something you know like when you win three world series like people talk about you 50 years later and is this the team that people want to have to explain to their grandkids oh yeah i saw (laughs) i saw I saw those uh you know andres torres gregor blanco years let me tell you about them there was a lot of Andres Torres and Gregor Blanco. (laughs) Yeah, that is... It's hard to explain because it really is just a different batch of goofballs every year. I mean, when you're... It's Cody Ross and Andres. I mean, Andres Torres, that year, I mean, by advanced statistics, it was such an amazing year. He was He was Lorenzo Cain. Yeah, you know, that's a a great point. He he was just all over the place in the field, just one of the best center fields I've ever seen him play or ever seen anyone play um, at AT AT&T Park or even in Candlestick. And and then, you know, he he falls off. And then, you know, Cody Ross goes back to what he was doing and Juan Uribe is, well, he's he's turned his career around um, again pretty nicely. But it's just, it's a different batch of goofballs. And this year, you've got the core, right? You've got got Posey, uh, you've got... At least one pitcher, you know, you got Bumgarner, but yeah, it's 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 hard to explain. And in, in, in fifty years, when you're trying to explain it, you're going to be stumbling just as much as I am right now, trying to explain it because it. I'm trying to think of something pithy that makes everyone laugh and makes a lot of sense, and I'm just talking over myself to hear myself think because I can't really explain what the Giants are doing. Kind of waiting for one of you to jump in, <laughs> but that that's the story of the Giants. They're just nonsense. I mean, the the Royals are the team that have gotten credit for being on an improbable run and having everything go their way. And yet, if we weren't saying that about the Royals, if if the Giants were playing some other team, it would very much be the Giants who people were saying that about, I would think. I mean, they've kind of won easily, but in a not very convincing way at times this postseason and entire season. Is that accurate? Yeah, the first, I mean, you know, April and May, that team looked good. I mean, they they were like on a 105-win pace at one point, and they, they obviously didn't look that good, but they looked like they could threaten 100 wins because you were starting to mentally tally it up and, and say, okay, well, Michael Morse, this is the Michael Morse now. He's a 30-home run guy, so just 
just add Michael Morse's 30 home runs to this team. We're just totally going to expect it because that's realistic. And Oh, and Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson is really good now. He is not just a fourth, fifth starter like they're hoping for. He's basically a number two, and he's going to throw 200 innings. So add that. And so you, you start to mentally tally all these things for the Giants and what's going to go right for them. And so for like two months, they looked really good. Like they were going to be a World Series contender in a very normal way. And then, I mean, they looked so bad. They look so bad. Like they would just go against the Padres and, it, and it's like, who's pitching? It's like Despain. It's like, oh, they can't beat Despain. Oh, no. They, they, they can't beat him. I mean, they look like a team where it's like, who's who's going today? It's Brandon Backey. No, not Brandon Backey. They can't, they can't beat him. And Bumgarner's low. And, and so, like, I, I have those feelings, like those very gut feelings about this team, like still like bubbling up near the surface. It's hard to get rid of because they got swept by the Padres, you know, a week before the end of the season. Just a total dejecting loss, series loss to the Padres. It was it was awful. And then all of a sudden you fast forward two weeks and, you know, they're winning 18 inning games. They're they're getting Aaron Bennett to throw 55 foot curveballs into the dirt that skip over heads and and uh it hasn't been the prettiest. And then, and then the very last game, you know, I've com- when I was complaining about the whole NLCS, them not hitting a home run and how they were going to need a home run. And then all of a sudden the home runs start flying and they look like a normal team again. So yeah, it, if not for the Royals, I think the conversation would be all about the giants luck, but you know, they're a pretty good team too. They're not that bad. Right. <laughs> so- sure. Especially when you look at their stats and you adjust them all upwards <laughs> as we've established that you do. <laughs> uh, so, um, if, as I understand it, the 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 routine goes: Brian Sabian wins a World Series, he gets a free pass for a year, and then he fails to win a World Series, and everybody remembers how much they hate him and everything he stands for. So, did you have a move this winter going into the season? Any point in the season that you just hated and thought, "There goes Sabian again. Better fire that guy." I wasn't crazy about the Morse move uh, just because the defense scared me. And the defense has been as bad as advertised. And I figured, you know, what if he really can't hit anymore? What if that wrist is going to bother him? Or or what if he's a lot closer to the player he was for the Mariners than he was with the Nationals? And and I didn't like that move one bit, especially when he had Gregor Blanco, whose defense is is very good in left field, um, capable enough of the bat. And I guess at the end of the year, they, they were pretty equal in value. Um, but I, I wasn't crazy about the Morse move, and I, I was happy to be proved wrong, uh, at least in some small part, because uh, he's a, he's fun to watch. He's he, you know he's just a goofy guy, and you, know, you can't help but but like him. He's he's like a big Muppet out there, like like the, I I don't know the Muppet's name, but there's like a big Muppet, like yeah, Bill Hanstock would know. Anyways, he, he just reminds me of like a big goofy Muppet, and I, I I love him so. But that that was the one move that that bothered me a little bit this off season. And this has kind of turned into Bruce Bochy Appreciation Month, I think. And maybe it has been for a while, but I've noticed it more and more. People are comparing him to Hall of Fame managers. And and based on some of the raw stats that they use to compare them, the comparisons are pretty favorable. So do you get the sense when you are watching Bruce Bochy that you are watching managerial greatness? Is it that he's doing brilliant things or that he's doing fewer stupid things? What, What is the takeaway from watching Bruce Bochy all these years? Well, I, I think the, the the discussion has changed, and I don't know when it happened, because I, I like to think I, I keep my ear to the ground on this one, but it, it went from, does Bruce Bochy have a chance at the Hall of Fame, 
to now we're going to talk with Bruce Bochy, future Hall of Fame manager. And, you know, it's like it just moved like he's he's already in like he, he got he got pushed in. I don't know if it was this playoff run, if it was advancing to the NLCS, just just the fact that it was there again. I don't know when it switched, but all of a sudden he is you know, like future Hall of Famer Bruce Bochy. And it's just, it's weird. Um, what I'll say to, to him, do I recognize managerial greatness? I don't watch every team for 162 games but the Giants. That's like my only frame of reference. I watch a lot of A's games, uh, but we're still talking, you know, 15, 20 a year. Like I, I don't really know all of Bob Melvin's quirks and peccadillos and, and, and whatever makes him tick nearly as much as I know Bruce Bochy. So when I'm comparing Bruce Bochy to, to managers, I'm comparing him to Felipe Alou and Dusty Baker. And compared to those two, I think he's a legitimate genius. Um, I just, I did not like a Lou one bit in a lot of capacities. I don't think he could handle a pitching staff. And Baker was a real bun him over. Um, I it wasn't, because you're going to hate every manager's strategies. Every manager is going to bug you, but some bug you more than most. And Dusty was always just, I mean, he started Sean Dunstan at DH in a World Series game. And his OPS was like 500 all season. He was 53 years old. And it's not like a 28-year-old Sean Dunstan was a great hitter. This was like a decrepit bag of ex-Sean Dunstan starting at DH. <laughs> didn't he start Didn't he start Tsuyoshi uh, Sinjo at DH yes. too? When Sinjo's like entire thing was – it would be like starting Juan Perez at DH in this World Series. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, Kenny Lofton. You know, Kenny Lofton was – okay a little sketchy in center field and Shoshi Chinjo was just like yeah, he was amazing he, he covered 60 percent of the field it seemed like and Dusty's rationale was yeah you know Lofton's used to being out there and you know I want to keep him hot and, and that's it was just kind of mumbo jumbo that just drove me nuts and in the end it, that's not the reason they lost the 2002 World Series but stuff like that I Bochi will irritate me with his moves on a micro level, but I think on the macro level, like I, I think his players would, you know, walk walk over hot coals for him, and I think he he has a touch, a, a deft touch when it comes to tricky situations like Tim Lincecum uh, swapping Sergio Romo out with Casilla, and while we're kind of grumbling in the background about Aubrey Huff playing over Brandon Belt, uh, you know, and that's like the biggest problem facing you know the Western world when Aubrey Huff is getting at bats over Brandon Belt, I think it's fair to wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes that he's managing with maybe a little bit more tact than we're seeing outside. So I think when you add up his strengths as, uh, I'll, I'll coin the term, a player's manager, <laughs> when, you, when you add up his strengths as a player's manager, and, and then he's not doing the crazy strategic things like, uh, you know, he doesn't like the bunt. He's not a, a bunt hound. He's not stealing when he shouldn't be stealing. I think he's a, I think he's a very good manager. I think he is one of the better managers I'll ever get to watch, even when he's driving me nuts doing it like every manager would. So do you, I remember back in 2009, the before we knew that we liked Bruce Bochy as a manager, when he was yes. still just the guy, the sort of bland guy from San Diego who had never really won anything there. Um, the 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 I I don't. I don't think it was a joke. I'm, I'm going to use the term joke because it was humorous, but I don't think it was intended as a joke. The joke was about him liking to double switch so much that he like had actually done it in an AL park, which doesn't make any sense because the pitcher doesn't hit. And that was that was sort of part of 
the the known universe of facts about Bochi. I, it wasn't considered hyperbole or anything like that. It was, as I recall, considered a real thing he had done. And then I went looking for it, and I I couldn't find it in you know forty five minutes of looking or whatever. Was that a was that real? I yeah, I know what you're talking about. It rings a bell, and I don't think it was like a legit double switch necessarily in an ale park. It was some kind of quirk that could have been perceived or in a joking way like that. It rings a bell, but I don't know. It could be a fever dream. Like I, I don't know. I with Bochi, what I remember, like the big funny Bochi story that wasn't funny at the time, was his refusal to stop playing Vinny Castilla. And Kevin Towers saying, hey, have you ever thought about not playing Vinny Castilla? And this is like <laughs> bad Vinny Castilla. And so Bochy says, you know, well, you don't want me to play Vinny Castilla. Uh, why don't you take him off the roster? And so that's what happened. And so they got Vinny Castilla off the roster and no one like ever looked for his phone number again because he's clearly <laughs> the worst baseball player on the planet. And that was like part of the start of the rift that led to Bochi coming to the Giants. Like the Padres were just, you know, done with that idea. And then when he came to the Giants, the Giants started, the Giants weren't a good team and they needed someone to sort of. Vinny Castilla. <laughs> <laughs> they, they needed someone to mix and match and find out what talent they really had. They needed to see if like Fred Lewis was going to be an okay player or John Bowker or Dan Ortmeier. Like they needed a, a manager with patience. And, and Bochi never seemed to have that with the younger players. And it, it like came to a head when Buster Posey was was like ready. Like the 2009 Giants were a, just a miserable offensive team, just miserable. But they could pitch, and so there was this interesting mix that uh, of hitting, of not hitting, and pitching that needed just like some spark. And they had Benji Molita hitting cleanup, and you know his OPS is I think sub 700. Just the worst idea of a cleanup hitter. And they have this guy in the minors, and he's he's just tearing it up. He's just this offensive underkins in the minors, and and he gets called up September 1st, September 2nd, early September, and then for the rest of that month he got nine at bats, ten at bats before the Giants were out of it. I mean, just sprinkled throughout. You know, a pinch hit appearance there. It was like. Bochi was was clinically insane. And so that's like leading up into 2010, I was just sure that Bochi was not never going to lead the Giants anywhere, that he was just a, a, something of a dunderhead and that he was never going to be the right person to shepherd the Giants to what where they needed to be. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm better now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fixed. Michael Morse Muppet is Sweetums, by the way. How is it gonna? I was. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I hate Ben. <laughs> this will be the last episode of Effectively Wild. Uh, so my colleague Jonah Carey in our World Series preview today called Yusmero Petit an X Factor, not the X Factor, but an X Factor. What do you? What role do you envision Petit playing in this series? Ah, uh, I think th and, and i'm gonna repeat a lot of the points uh that i talked to uh with jonah today because uh, he got to me first so if you are a grand completionist and you listen to both podcasts i, I do apologize um i think i think bochi really likes him as the idea of uh, a pitcher in a glass case to to break the glass whenever something goes wrong to have petite come in and just know that you're going to get four or five good innings from him when your hour is at its darkest uh, and I, I don't think he's going to start game four. I don't, you know, Jonah was trying to 
sell me on the idea of Petit in like a seventh or eighth inning role, you know, kind of mix and match and, and put them in high leverage situations, which I'm not necessarily opposed to. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think what you saw in the division series and the championship series is what you're going to get going forward. Petit's there. If you need, you know, that emergency uh, extra four or five innings when your starter just clearly doesn't have his stuff. Um, I would like him to see, I would like him to start game four. That would be my pick, but pretty sure that's not going to happen. What else did John ask you, Ben? Uh, ben Grant. Uh, he asked me about uh, you know giant stuff, World Series. Uh-huh. What and what'd you tell him? Oh, uh, you know, interesting stuff. Kind of, <laughs> kind of spent my interesting bullets on that one. <laughs> All right. So that was uh, Grant Brisby. You can find him on Twitter at uh, at McCoveycron uh, or uh, on the internet at mccoveychronicles.com or the other one that I tried to say earlier. Um, please support our sponsor, the Play Index at Baseball Reference. Subscribe to Baseball Reference. Use the promo code BP for a special offer, $30 for an entire year of the best tool for baseball information gathering. We'll be back tomorrow, and uh, maybe we'll talk about emails, but we probably won't. The only stipulation is that I don't really want to talk about the World Series because I'm kind of World Series out. <laughs> 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 okay.